Good evening, everybody. Can somebody help me with the stand? Thank you. Well, again, I'm not going to talk about missions much. <laughs> but I'm going to just mention a few things about here. But before I do that, um, just a reminder that there are missionaries here who are uh, living and working in sensitive places. And so if you've taken photos and those kind of things, please do not post. Okay, just a little reminder, and um, we want to keep the, our workers around the world safe and the gospel secure. So let's do that. Now, I just got a little video up there. I, I don't want to have a booth. I got a table on me with a couple things on it. If you want to talk to me sometime this evening or before 8.15 in the morning uh, about serving in Europe, I'd like to talk to you about that. Now, I told you there are four phrases that help root us in king in the kingdom of life inside out upside down future back and here to there here to there i'm not going to talk about but it's the idea of that the gospel has to go to the ends of the earth if you are a christian and not involved in the great commission then you don't understand the gospel and there are people who do not have the access to the gospel that you and I do. There are many lost people in the United States and on your campuses, the majority, but you're there. But there are places on this planet that there are not enough Christians to adequately represent the gospel to a particular people. And the gospel is always here to there. I've heard the good news, and it's so good, I've got to tell those people who have not. So we're not going to talk about that tonight. And you've heard a lot of missions moment this weekend, but I'm telling you, to fully embrace the kingdom of God, you must embrace your role in the Great Commission. It's not about if, it's about where God is taking you and how God will use you in the Great Commission. And surely God would ask of us as communities of faith that our best and our brightest, that means Kaiofa, are those that are sent the most challenging places. So as my community, I'm Kaiofa, I'm asking, will we take the gospel from here to there? Man, I'm so tempted to go all missions on you right now. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started. I want to say thank you again to you guys for listening. I want to thank you to the leadership of Southeast. I'm grateful for the invitation and I'm humbled by the opportunity to speak to you all. And I, I don't know if I said it clearly enough. I want to. I have several people that I've grown up in ministry with in the room, and, and there's too many to maybe mention. But I do want to mention at least two because um, Anthony, where yeah, Anthony. Anthony uh, was a part of our internship program in Washington D.C. When my son saw him. Uh, this week, he was 
that's Tickle Monster, right? So that's how long ago that was. <laughs> My son believed, you know, had Tickle Monster, but that was Anthony. But Anthony, you're a good friend and, and a gift to Chi Alpha and a gift to Virginia Tech. And of course, uh, you found a wonderful partner in ministry and uh, we're grateful for you guys and proud. And then of course, Gina. Gina White, there you go. There she is, she stood up. Yeah, I saw that. Your lovely, your lovely husband, Jared. <laughs> Gina was my first intern. And so, um, sorry. <laughs> I learned on her, and then we got better as we went. But we're grateful to be with those good friends as well. And so, it's good to be here. Is it just me or like three families produced that choir? <laughs> well done, quiverful folks. <laughs> At the end of tonight's, uh, during tonight's response time, I'm going to ask that we get together as Chi Alpha groups, okay? So campus leaders. Uh, kind of get an eyeball out for where your folks are and kind of guys kind of focus on that. I, I don't want it to be too distracting that we move around, but I'm asking to get together in various places. Obviously, if you're a larger group, you may want to small group leaders break up or whatever that. But we're going to come to the conclusion of this time, the corporate response. There'll be some individual time as well. But I believe walking through into the new year, something exciting that we do that together. I mean, our core value um, is community, isn't it? Health. Community of Jesus. So I want to do that. There's the heads up there. Well, we've been talking about the kingdom of God and looking at it through those four phrases. And tonight is future back. And as I said before, kingdom is the most comprehensive word possible that could have been used in the New Testament. To reuse John Legend's, we want to give all of ourselves for all of you. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know. But the truth is, kingdom is an all word. And following Jesus demands all, and it's about all. The whole gospel for a whole world, whole people. That's the nature of the word kingdom. And if we're to embrace the king, if we are to give our allegiance, if we are to say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is king, then it demands and affects every possible area of our lives and of this world. In particular, these phrases I've been using, they are responding to three or four major questions that every person on this planet, every worldview, every religion has to deal with. The first question is, who am I? Every religion, every worldview has to answer that question. The identity question. And we find the answer in the inside-out kingdom. Who are we? We are those who are loved by God. And we have turned our backs on Him. And we said no to the love of Jesus. And yet He still woos us back. He dies for us and He loves us. And we don't have to struggle with the exhausting and impossible task of self-definition and self-healing. Because we are loved and known by God. Inside out transformation. 
The second question everyone has to answer, Christian or not, is what makes a meaningful life? And we find that Jesus shows us that service is the way to significance. The upside down kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be served. The king as servant. Our lives are only as significant as how low we stoop to wash the feet of a lost and dying world. You want significance and pick up your towel and kneel. The third question that every person on the planet has to ask is where are we going? What are we destined for as a person and as a people? And this is what we're going to be talking about tonight as we look at the phrase future back. We're talking about the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The imminent return, as I was forced to learn from my ordination exam. <laughs> You've been through that exam. The New Testament often refers to it as the day of the Lord, or sometimes just the day. That's a great the day. Without a clear vision of the return of Jesus, we have a trajectory problem. We do not know where we're headed. The problem is this doctrine is one of the hardest for us to come to grips with because it's been surrounded by silliness and foolishness. Not found in the New Testament. As I was preparing this message, there was a news item on Associated Press that came through. And I'm going to read it, just a portion of it to you, and comment. A Christian numerologist claims... Let me stop right there. There's no such thing as a Christian numerologist. A Christian numerologist claims, not neurologist, numerologist. There are neurologists, I believe. That the world will end next Saturday. That would have been September 23rd. The end will end next Saturday when a planet will supposedly collide with Earth. According to Christian numerologist David Mead, verses in Luke 21 and 26 are the sign of that recent event since the recent solar eclipse and Hurricane Harvey are the signs of the apocalypse. September 23rd is a date that was pinpointed using codes from the Bible. The Bible is not written in code. It's written in words to be understood plainly. It's called revelation, not hidden secrets. And don't get don't get me started. We're just this is just an example. He also used a date marker in the pyramids of Giza, Giza, in Egypt, because apparently the Bible wasn't clear enough. So. Mead has built his theory on the so-called Planet X, which is also known as Niburu. Which he will believe will pass Earth on September 23rd, causing volcanic eruptions, tsunamis, earthquakes. 
this is my favorite part of the article. <laughs> Coming up, this is great. NASA has repeatedly said Planet X is a hoax. They've had to repeat themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, I don't know why the reporter felt obligated to say this, but I'm grateful. Mead's views are not endorsed by Roman Catholic, Protestant, or Eastern Orthodox branches of Christianity. That's all of them, people. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of room left. If the Catholics, Protestants, and Orthodox say, you know, I think Dan mentioned it as well, but I also grew up Pentecostal, and I also had those at times when you came home and mom and dad were gone. I'm not lying, you know, you're like, who do I call because I missed it. The imminent return, the second coming, is a, often a forgotten doctrine in your generation, and I cannot blame you for ignoring it, when this is the stuff that we've been given. This weird end time stuff that focuses on events not made clear in scripture, that keep focusing on human historical events rather on the king of the coming, is not a New Testament emphasis. In fact, Jesus himself repeatedly said we should not speculate on dates and times. And yet we still do this. Weird TV preachers predict things and say things that are foolishness. And honestly, disobedience to the command of Jesus not to guess at this stuff. Now, I'm not going on and on about this, but it, I'm trying to set the tone because I'm talking about why we kind of set it aside. You know, but honestly, even Jesus, Jesus' disciples were confused on this issue, right? When Jesus ascended up to heaven, they're like, so now? The day? Like, now, right? And what does Jesus say to him in Acts 1, 6 and 8? They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You know, if Jesus didn't tell the twelve, I'm pretty sure he didn't tell Joe Blow on the internet. My experience is that there generally we approach this two types of people, those who really are obsessed with end time stuff and the cons Christian conspiracy theories, magical prophetic words and the like. Self-published end time charts. There's a reason they're self-published. The problem is it causes many of us to then ignore the doctrine. And unfortunately these two responses 
rob us of spiritual vitality that comes from understanding a future back kingdom. And they negatively reinforce each other because the end time folks say their stuff and weird out those of us not in that camp. And then we get apathetic to the doctrine and that apathy of the doctrine helps the end time people go see the church is in apostasy. And this is negative cycle that has sidelined a fundamental principle of the New Testament that Jesus is returning. Yeah. Yeah. And we cannot live gospel lives. We cannot live full Christian lives without fundamentally understanding the importance of the day. This is not new, by the way. <coughs> I'm a child of the 80s, not born, like teenager. <laughs> Never forget, 19, a book came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. He rewrote the book a year later, said I counted wrong. <laughs> and had 89 reasons. Well, Jesus came back in 89. Y2K, Left Behind, so on and so forth. It goes on and on. I had a great grandmother who knew that Jesus was coming back. When she sold everything she had, moved up to the top of a mountain. Ended up being seven years. Then she kind of stopped living on a mountain. <laughs> and no one commented on it. You cannot weird my family. The same kind of confusion, honest confusion hit the Thessalonian church. And they were struggling to understand because they, they were living with the faith that Jesus would come soon. The, the kingdom of God was near and then people in the congregation began to die and they were getting confused because they were seeing this future back thing from a chronological point. And that's not the point. Times and dates are not the point. And Paul addresses this situation in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And that's our text for this evening. Let's read. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. What do you know? Gee, Paul actually understood what he said. Look, we're not going to talk about that. He says, for you know very well. That the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, you don't know when it's going to happen. So I'm not going to talk to you about the when. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. In other words... You don't have to worry if mama comes home, if your hand's not in the cookie jar. We're people of the day. So let's not worry so much about when it's going to happen because we're ready. <coughs> you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us be like others. Excuse me, very important word. Let us not be like others <laughs> who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. 
For those who sleep at night and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, I want that phrase to be, since we belong to the day. We belong to the day. See, the end is not the calendar issue. It's a reality issue. And we belong to a different reality. We belong to heaven, a place where there is no darkness. So let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, and there's referring to death, it doesn't matter whether you died or not, Thessalonians, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you were doing. Deadlines are important things. I had a professor, this is back before we had um, electronic things, back when we still had ditto machines. No, <laughs> I know what a ditto machine is. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Get one lap here. Thank you. <laughs> but I had a professor. We still had to hand in actual paper. We couldn't just, you know, forward it on email or whatever. And I had a professor who had a slot, a glass door, a slot, and you could. Always, he always gave a midnight date or time frame. You did the midnight. And I don't know. He was kind of crazy. At the end of the semester, he would actually had a chair. He would sit in behind the locked door of his office. And you can see him in the glass window with the slot, and he had an enormous digital clock. And he would just sit there. <laughs> he pointed to the clock, man. That's a deadline. You know, and, and we're just like running and you know just the slots. People come at once, you know, no! You know, like that's a deadline. That's kind of how we perceive. The return of Jesus Christ. And honestly, there is a deadline moment. I mean, there is a point at which Jesus returns and, and, and decisions are solidified. You know, and, and that's part of it. But I truly believe that the primary function of the idea of the day and how it functions in the spiritual formation of the New Testament church is not about deadlines, it's about direction. When we understand the future, the destiny, what's out there, it helps set our lives in a particular trajectory. Um, I am a city boy. Um, I did not grow up on a farm. I don't know anything about fixing things. Um, I'm just really inept at all that stuff. And so because of that, one summer I got a job in maintenance. And um, at a big hospital, and part of my job was mowing the enormous fields with a, I don't even know, brush hog? Is that what they call those things? The thing you pull behind? I just call it big fat lawnmower. That's, that's, that's all the words I have. And I, I had to put it on a tractor, you know, I guess that's what you do. And I'd never driven a tractor. And so I was too arrogant slash embarrassed, because those often go together, to... Tell the guy I didn't know anything about tractors, brush hogs, or anything. What's it? 
Well, I think that may be a regional difference, I'll be honest, because it's brush hog where I come from. Anybody else got brush hogs? Okay, I'm in the southeast. Yeah. I'm from the north central region, so we got a whole different about, you know, we talk like that. And so, he was a nice Christian man that I worked for, and he knew his stuff, and just a gentle man. And I remember getting on there, and I'm taking off, you know. You know, and I got the angle, and it's like this. And then, of course, I couldn't avoid the sewer cap. Grinded the thing up to pieces. I didn't know that you couldn't go over the top of that, you know. He was such a gentle man, and I totally ruined the, the thing, and I don't know what I ruined, but I ruined something. I know the blades and some other piston things, I don't know. Not the pins, something, I don't know what I did. And I'll never forget how gently he, he helped me, and I learned a lot that summer about maintenance and tools. And he said something to me, he said, you know, I noticed you weren't going very straight. <laughs> And he said, you know what? You're looking right in front of the tractor. You gotta look to the end of the field. Yeah. It's like a motivational poster a little bit, but but the point's solid, isn't it? See, trajectory is not determined by what's right here, it's determined by where you're headed. If you want straight lives. The Bible's word for straight is righteousness. If we want right lives, we have to be living from a future perspective. The vision of the end is vital to all kingdom living, for our direction and our purpose is set by a future reality. Our present is determined by our destiny. This belief in the day, the second coming of Christ, I would argue is the dominant feature of New Testament teaching. Because it's where everything leads. Paul himself says, if we don't believe in the resurrection, this whole end thing, Christianity is stupidity. Let's show him paraphrase. The day of the Lord, or the day, this belief that Jesus is coming back is not about a calendar date or a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> there you go. Some cultural reference there for you. I've been told I have to do that to connect with the younger generation. <laughs> it's not about a series of events, but rather it's about a reality. It's not a timeline, it's a GPS. It's an orientation to all of our spiritual lives in this world. See, the issue about the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here, close. It's not really about how chronologically close. It's about how reality close it is. The heaven is the reality of heaven. That God's reign and rule is made perfect in this place. It's just around the corner, always. For those of us who follow Jesus, whether it was in the first century, the 21st, the kingdom of God is just right here. 
And that's so important to understand because it sets the agenda for our lives. It's the future reality when it will be completely revealed. It's pushing back into our reality. It's working its way. The light enters the darkness and the darkness cannot overtake it. John 1. The kingdom of God, the future is here. The signs of the New Testament are not signs about when Jesus would come, but why he would come. Because there is war, because there is heresy, because there is sin, because there is suffering, because there is tension in this world, we know that Jesus will not tolerate it. These are the signs of the end. They remind us that Jesus will not let this go on forever. God's promises is to wipe out the darkness. And when the darkness seems too overwhelming, we look to our future that is so close. The word of encouragement, Paul says to the church, is not figure out what's, when it's going to happen, but he says repeatedly that people of the day need to be sober. 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 That's a rare word in our language today, isn't it? And honestly, there are rare people that I would look and say, that is a sober-minded person. You know what soberness is? It's absolute clarity about what is true. Absolute honesty about what is true. And that's why the future pushes back. Because when we look at the world as it is, we say, knowing the fact of God, I see the world clearly. That this is not the end. This is not all of reality. There is a greater reality, bigger than this life in a fallen and broken world. I see clearly, because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I see all reality the future pushing back on today. Ultimate reality is not just what we see and taste and smell. It be- there's a greater reality, the invisible things the New Testament calls us, that are bigger and greater. And we are people who live in reality. We are sober-minded people. Because we are sober-minded and we clearly see the end, we have clear values. Often the New Testament talks about judgment, and surely it does mean the punishment to be received. But more important, that word is probably better understood as verdict. That when the end comes, God pronounces a verdict. And he says, this is righteous, this is not. He's making things clear about the nature of reality. And as Christians, we already can know what is the right and the good and the whole and the pure. And that's why Paul says, think about these things. Because we're sober-minded people. We know what right and wrong is. We know what wisdom is. We know what hope is. Because we have a clear picture of the future that is just around the corner. What he calls good is truly good. What he calls evil is truly evil. And we live by the full reality, the true reality, the values of the kingdom that are not temporary pragmatic things. They are eternally true. 
Sober people make good decisions. Drunk people do not. Y'all know that to be true. Tonight there will be tragic poor decisions. And that's what Paul likes. We're not like drunk people or half asleep people. We're people who are fully alive. Not in a stupor. To follow Jesus is to be full and aware and living in life. And you know what? People know the difference. One of the major things that happens in our ministry center, we hear this over and over again. People say, you all are different. And they can hardly find the world. They say, but one girl actually said, everything seems so alive here. <coughs> the world walks around in black and white. We're living in color, high definition. There's a clarity. We make good decisions. Sober peeper people. <laughs> Sober people are solid people. That's my word when we talk about faithful people. The word is far more than faithful. We often equip it to someone who shows up all the time. That's part of it. But faithful in this New Testament is about consistency and depth and commitment. Commitment is a difficult word. We don't commit to anything radically. You know, we love our cell phones. That means we can change our plans at the last minute. Yeah, you're not going to make it. We have lots of ways, but I'm telling you, we got enough flash. We got enough passions, passionate people. We got a lot of charismatic people, but there are not many solid people. People you can count on. People that have common sense. People that are committed to actual solutions. People who that stay and learn how to do it the right way. That love in the right way, with the right kind of love, the right amount of time. Solid people. And we're empowered by the reality that we know that this future reality, it enables us to live solidly because we're not worried about grasping at stuff and running around. Because we're confident in our future. Sometimes we missionaries can be a little bit out of touch with what happens in the States. But sometimes we can be prophetic because we come from somewhere else and we see back in our home culture and I, I don't want to raise issues I can't solve in this sermon but I've never been so disturbed by the emotional sways and the lack of depth and common sense that I saw when I returned to our latest Political season. On the left and on the right, Christians forwarding 
messages, reposting articles that had nothing to do with truth. Now, again, this is left and right, people. We as Christians should be above that. We think hard. We may disagree about some things, but we think hard and we understand that some of the social ails of our society, some of the issues, are more complicated than can handle it in me. Or, whoo, look at so-and-so. They destroyed that argument. No arguments destroyed in four seconds. I'm sorry. And to tolerate fake news and emotional postings is an attack on truth. And we are people of truth. We're solid. And we can do that because we know in the end there's a king of kings and lord of lords. So we can afford to take the time to read through issues. And this applies to our Christian communities as well. Where we run from conference to conference, from trying to find the most charismatic, most spiritual church, moving from here to there. Trying to get in touch with some magical spirituality. Denying the reality that the Holy Spirit is with us. Everywhere, in every place. And we're not solid because we don't stay still anywhere. We are people of delight. We don't need to be worked up in momentary flashes of passion. We as Americans, particularly those of us in the Pentecostal charismatic tradition, we have plenty of passion. I mean, we never lose the fieriness of our tradition. But unless it is paired with a solid, long-term commitment to truth and discipleship and faithful service, it is dangerous a waste of energy. We're sober people. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired of waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can talk with crowds and, not, and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. All men count with you but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a Christian, my son. Rudyard Kipling, if sober people are solid people, stable people, knowing how things and that things will come to an end, we can stay straight on the tractor, being good and doing good. We have the capacity for working through complicated issues. We have the space to forgive because we recognize heaven will sort things out. We can sacrifice for the greatest, greater good because we know sacrifice is just temporary. 
We are not reactionary, but revolutionary. Because we go all the way through to actual transformation. Emotional and spiritual maturity flows from confidence in the content and the consummation of the kingdom of God. Eugene Peterson says, The future is not something we wait for, but an invasion of life from heaven. So I ask you, do you live in sober awareness of the nearness of the kingdom of God? People of the day are not just sober, they're secure. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Again, not a country boy, city boy. Had some country friends, though. Took me to go biking. Well, I grew up biking, it was sidewalk and straight and stoplights and things. <laughs> Bells, ding, ding, you know. My junior high friends from the country took me biking in the Ozark Mountains. They're flying around, zipping around, jumping things, and of course, again, too embarrassed and arrogant. Said, yeah, I've done this before. Took off down a narrow path down a hill. They actually crossed a log. I did not make it across the log. I crashed into a great Ozark ravine full of Ozark granite. Hurt myself. They turned to me and said, you okay, Sean? Yeah, yeah, no problem. No Dane Ramage. <laughs> said, you want a helmet? Yes. I was back in before they had bike helmets. I had a motorcycle helmet. Didn't quite fit. With a stuffed pad in there. I don't know what fat head his helmet that was, but there was a lot of pad had stuck in there. The man, that helmet was free. When your head's covered, you're good to go. Truthfully, I enjoyed the rest of the day, banged my head multiple times, didn't feel a thing. But your head's covered, it's all going to be okay. See, our salvation is secure. And Paul says, put on all this gear. But the hope of salvation is your helmet. I'm not a once saved, always saved preacher. But nor am I. You get unsaved every hour. My salvation is secure in Christ. And the future is pushing back. And I know that my Savior who completed me what he already began. And I'm free to take risks, to sacrifice, because the future promised me is that my salvation will be completed 
And I'm protected in the here and now by that knowledge and that hope that if God died for me, he's going to get me in. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. But our belief in the future, heaven that will be here, is not about a particular set of events. It's about the character of God. That's future back. Is God who he says he is? Is he really who he says he is? Will he came the first time? Will he come the second time? And the issue is, the future is so secure. Because he came the first time, we know he comes the second time. Why wouldn't he? The first one was the hard one. Second one, his king of kings, Lord of lords, on his thigh, on a horse with a sword. You don't think he's coming back like that? Come on, people. He came as a baby. I love the great prophet, Samwise Gamgee. It's like the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, the shadow. Even darkness must pass. Paul is not a fool. No one, you know, I can't say I suffered more than Paul. And there are people in this world today that suffer far more than us. But there are also people in this room that have gone through tragic things. Darkness seems to rule. But I'm here to tell you we are secure because we are people of the day. Even the darkness must pass. The future light pushes back. And we see it in moments of healing and salvation and ministry. But I promise you, that is just the beginning. And so I ask you, what are you afraid of? What is so dark in your life? What is the fear? What is the challenge? What is the persecution? What is the internal emotional issue? What is it? I'm here to tell you the darkness will pass. Because we are not people of the night. We belong to the day. E. Stanley Jones said, the early Christians did not say in dismay, oh no, look what the world has come to. That would be Fox News. Oh, I said I'm sorry. That was inappropriate. And other, I can mention other people and places and other sides of the aisle. The early Christians did not say, look what the world has come to. But in delight they said, look what has come to the world. We belong to the day. I'm closing with some practical matters. And worship team, if you would come up. The future is not a chronological issue for us. It's a reality issue. Heaven 
is just around the corner. There are practical issues that belong into the day that teach us. Number one, the future determines you, not your past. Heaven determines your reality, not your past. Some of you have gone through things I can't possibly imagine how difficult they are. Some of you have struggled, and it's been mentioned several times now, with addictions. And you feel like you will always be that way. I don't know why some people are delivered here next year over months instantaneously, but the promise of the future is it will not last forever. And that light pushes back into this light and says, there's transformation here and now, but there's ultimate transformation, I promise you. You are not determined by your past, your past failures, your past undisciplined, your past mistakes. You are determined by the future God has for you. Because we're future-backed people, we're not determined by current circumstances. We are not subject to decay. Isn't that great? When I was a kid, I'm a preacher's kid, and maybe I wasn't that saved or whatever, I don't know, but I just got to be honest. I love music. I play a little instrument now and again, but I'm not the worship leader type. Love you guys. (laughs) One day I would be as cool as a bass player. (laughs) One day. But I remember several times growing up when we get to the last verse, when we've been there 10,000 years, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise. And I thought to myself, I can't even get to 45 minutes. 10,000 years sounds like forever. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? My, my idea of heaven was an endless worship service. Now there's going to be worship in heaven. We won't, you know, you know what? That's not everything we're going to do. As it says, there's a new heavens and new earth. See, 10,000 years of singing is great if you're a worship leader, but it really sucks if you're an engineer. <laughs> well, I didn't do. Of this doctrine, cultivate a longing for the day. 
even know fully how to do that. Because when you're young, you don't think in it in long terms, necessarily. But the early church lived by this understanding that Jesus, come back. Immerse yourselves in the messiness of the world and you'll want the end to come. Keep your lives out of the mess, out of busy, hard things, and you don't care. You're happy here. But get involved with the lost, the broken, and you'll all of a sudden say, Maranatha, come quickly. Make it right. Heaven around the corner, bust in, it's time. Meditate on eternity. Meditate on eternity. Jesus, I hope to see you today. Fully. Cultivate the longing for the day. Sing songs about his coming. Soon and very soon we're going to see the game. And pray, come quickly. How far can you see, Kaiofa? Can you see your end? When the darkness is pushed back, it heals your heart now. You're not determined by your past. It makes you capable of being an investor in the here and now because you know good work lasts forever. So I say to you, Kaiofa, live the inside out, upside down, future back, here to their life. It is life in abundance. Stand with me. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to ask that you begin to find your Kaiofa groups. And Anthony, if you want to get help with me, give any direction. I trust you. <laughs> I'm going to pray for us, and I want to, you know, give me a lot of moving around, and it can be so much drive, but please do not lose kind of the, the, the faith moment we have here. And Kyle, for directors, maybe you're going to pray for people whose pasts seem like they're determining who they are. But then as a collective community, if you walk through some of that stuff, praying for one another, Kyle, for leaders, take the initiative and make a commitment to be people of the day. Just two hours now, we're going to walk into a new year. It's just a date on the calendar, but in many ways, it's a moment we're going to say, 2018 is going to be the year of the day. We belong to the day. We're different. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. Let me pray for you and begin to move and find your communities. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, from flightiness. Free us from unrighteousness. Make us sober, solid people that this world so desperately needs, Lord. Teach us to belong to the day. We're people of the light. Make us solid. Make us firm. Standing tall and strong in the knowledge that once you started, you will finish. We belong to the day.
to the day. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, now. Come, Lord Jesus, now. Heaven, break in, in hearts now, and break in forever. In Jesus' name we pray.